like to introduce myself. My name is Ted Horton. Uh, I'm a partner in Seward and Capital's Capital Markets Group. Um, we are here today to talk about the panel on alternative financing. Um, like everyone else, first of all, it's very nice to be here. Nicholas, it's nice to be seeing you in person and not on a Zoom screen. Um, we'll try to keep this short and or at least keep to our scheduled time and um, may, may or may not commit to questions um, after the last panel, but we will try to leave a few minutes at the end. Um, so the term alternative financing, as I'm assuming most people in this room know, um, arose to describe the sources of capital um, that filled the void left primarily by the exit of uh, traditional lending banks for ship financing following the financial crisis in 2008, um, and whose shipping portfolios at that time constituted about 90% of the global ship financing um, portfolios. Um, Although traditional financing has come back, as we have heard in other panels, um, it currently accounts, by my estimates, about approximately 60% of the global financing market at the end of 2021. Um, and during that period, the alternative financing, which is primarily on the panel today, is going to be represented by the direct lenders, um, but also by um, the leasing houses and, say, leaseback transactions, and to some extent the private equity, all that was, that was closer to the financial crisis than it is today, um, have filled that void. They have become um, larger, both in terms of market share and in terms of uh, numbers of providers, um, and become more institutionalized. Um, I'm going to ask everyone on our panel, uh, as my first question, to just go briefly and to describe what their offerings are and what their products are. But our panel today represents many of the leading names in the alternative or non-bank uh, financing in the shipping industry. Um, to my left, when ordering is going to be, is Tim So, who's Managing Director of Ascension Finance. Um, I'm going to do in the ordering of where they are involved with. Um, Robert Jan Sujay, um, who is a Managing Director of Direct Ship Finance, which are two of the leading direct lenders in the shipping space. Um, Omar Donnerstein is uh, further down to my left with Entrust Global, which is also a major player in the direct finance the direct lending space and also has uh, some structured equity investments. Um, and who am I leaving out? Harris Antino at the very end um, is going to be founder and managing director of Neptune Maritime Leasing. Uh, and finally, Alex uh, Seidman, who is a, um, with Bramer Naves, who is an advisor to the ship finance industry. So as I said, I'll start with each of you and maybe just ask you to give very briefly a description of what the products are that you're, you're offering. Tim, I'll start with you. Sure, thanks, Ted. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. So Ascension is a first lien senior secured debt provider. We have offices in New York, London, and Athens. We focus primarily on liquid assets. So within our portfolio currently, we have loans secured on container ships, dry bulk, crew tankers, and product tankers. And we're able to be quite flexible in terms of our terms. So uh, we have borrowers who have asked for non-recourse facilities, borrowers who have asked for uh, loans that will be backed by mainly spot employment vessels, and lastly, we're able to finance vessels that have maybe come to the end of their financeable age with the more traditional bank lenders as well. Thank you. 
Yeah, Brema Navis basically focuses on helping clients to find the best financing solution for the challenge that they're up to. So that can be a traditional bank loan, um, it can be lease financing, it can be alternative lending, but it's also on the equity side. We work intensively with private equity, with family offices. We do not base um, listed equities or listed debt, um, so we focus on the, on the private side of things. Direct Ship Finance is a, uh, a lending platform uh, directly funded by institutional investors in uh, Europe and in the US. We have $400 million of committed capital, and if we do what we promise our investors, that we can grow with the same group of investors to $800 million. Like Ascension, we are focusing on more liquid assets. Um, our target group are those owners who are sort of left alone by the traditional banks when they retreated uh, in the last, uh, last number of years. So we are focusing on small to medium-sized, family-owned, privately-owned owners who are looking for senior secured financing. Um, sometimes I describe ourselves as a non-bank bank. Um, so that means that if you look at the direct ship finance term sheet, uh, those who are used to uh, traditional shipping banks, they will recognize a lot of stuff. At the same time, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. We bring a lot more flexibility and, I hope, creativity to the table. Um, but it is, it is, it is an alternative for the banks. Hi, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know us, Interest Global launched the Blue Ocean Fund around six, seven years ago. Uh, since then, we've raised close to $3 billion in uh, commitment. We funded um, close to $2 billion. majority of our book, around 75-80% is actually in Greece, so we thank you for that. Um, I think earlier on, we had the view that if we, you know, we want to grow and be big in this business, we should not think ourselves as a shipping lender, but should, you know, should be a shipping investor. Um, and that means that um, you know, we have initially positioned ourselves to, uh, you know, to as a one-stop shop and to do uh, more than just senior lending. And we have done you know, anything from senior lending, senior secure lending, all the way up to, um, to common equity. And really everything in between, mezzanine, sell, lease back, um, uh, unsecured, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> we've been active mostly on the primary market, but uh, earlier on, uh, we were a buyer of many uh, loans from financial institutions that were looking to offload those, um, uh, those loans into the hands of uh, funds. Um, and, you know, we've been bidding on most of the, the large portfolios that were out there. Um, and even though the majority of what we do is in the private market, we've also been active in the public market uh, and, um, and traded bonds and looked at other um, other securities. I, I think the way you know to think about us, and again, we'll talk about the differences between the um, you know the different platform. Is that uh, even though we are a part of a large hedge fund, uh, 20 billion in size, and we enjoy everything that that fund has to offer in terms of uh, infrastructure, uh, fundraising, etc., we are still a self-managed team, a self-managed business within Entras, um, and that allows us to make uh, investment decisions uh, very quickly. You know, we're not subject to um, you know, a cumbersome uh, process. Uh, you know, I sit on the investment on our investment committee to do it together with my partner Sven Eng. Um, and between us, we make 99% of the investment decision that the fund takes. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Harris Antonio. Um, I am um, the founder and managing director of Neptune Maritime Leasing. And as the name already reveals, 
uh, we actually set up very recently, about a year ago, a European maritime leasing company to focus on uh, funding mostly small and medium uh, shipping enterprises uh, that were uh, left outside the radar screen of larger uh, banks uh, that were active in the sector. And in fact, uh, I'm very pleased that uh, today here we have in the panel quite a few uh, of what we call alternative lenders, but the reality is that uh, what we call the alternative is not so alternative anymore because it's becoming mainstream. Uh, we uh, decided to keep it simple. We're not a fund, we are a company. Uh, it was established um, by a cooperation of uh, sponsors with vast experience in the shipping business, but also uh, executives that also have worked together many years in the past. And that's what actually makes it quite exciting, because the thing that brings us together is the passion about the shipping markets. We've been in this business for more than 30 years. We believe that you know, there is no global economy without uh, global shipping. And we firmly believe that it, it was in need of dire uh, support, and we were here to uh, provide it. Um, as a result, we're active in most uh, sectors, uh, dry bulk, wet containers, and gas carriers. Uh, we have a preference uh, for younger uh, ships that are environmentally friendly because ESG is also at the core of our uh, mindset and offering. But that means uh, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't uh, uh, actually look at uh, vessels that are closer to the end of the economic life, as somebody said earlier, simply, of course, when the conditions uh, allow us to do that. And one of the ways that uh, these conditions uh, are met is through our active involvement in um, the financing of um, the transition. Uh, and when I say transition, I mean not only financing new buildings that are, of course, environmentally uh, uh, friendly and advanced, but also looking and financing retrofits, which is, uh, in our mind, one of the important items that owners have to consider uh, as we're moving through to a decarbonized future. And I'm sure we're going to be talking more about that um, later. So I will keep it at that and give it back to you. Great. Thanks, Harris. Um, Alex, maybe I'll start with you on this question because you're sort of above this and have an independent view. I mean, Harris, as you're saying, the alternative, alternative financing was maybe more appropriate at the beginning as when we turn that as it's become larger in terms of market share and more sort of institutionalized. You know, is, is traditional bank lending still the default sort of go-to, at least for the debt financing side, or in your advisory capacity, you know, are you seeing is it that what we're calling the alternative financing is sort of more of an equal opportunity? And I guess under what circumstances do you see people going towards one or the other? I think it very much depends on the environment in which you take the investment decision. Um, of course, if you've got enough time, um, and if you are, have a sound business structure, and you can attract bank financing for, for your venture, then it's most likely the cheapest source of capital, and you should go exactly for that. Now, however, under certain circumstances, you need a lender that can move within a few days or weeks, uh, onboard a client within basically two weeks, which I think hardly any bank um, can do anymore. And then you basically need a partner, a financing partner that moves. It comes at a certain additional cost. But if the investment opportunity deserves it, I mean, it, it can still quite well calculate nicely. And in so far, I think um, it very much depends on what task 
you have in front of you, how fast you need to move, and what corporate structure um, you basically, or what, what structure, investment structure, um, is, uh, needs to be financed. Because as we know, bank financing has certain restrictions, regulatory restrictions. Um, and, and, and so far, I must say that I'm pleased to say that, that today there's really a variety of choices. And you just need to make it fit tailor-made as to keep the cost of capital as low as possible, but also, you know, to um, under the given timing restrictions to come to a financing solution. And, and you raise, I mean, a couple of distinctions that you raise, but one is in the cost. I mean, I know alternative alternative financing was always viewed as sort of a higher cost capital. Is is that is that coming down though? As as there's more players in the market and more competition, are, are the two? cost of financing getting closer to bank financing? Well, I leave I my, my colleagues here from later on to comment own, on that, but, their own view. but, but I, I, I can definitely confirm there has been yield compression when we first saw the first players coming to the markets. On average, I would say um, pricing was higher, so there is more competition, so naturally that brought down pricing. But it also very much depends on you know how much leverage you want to have. It can still be quite pricey if you want a lot of leverage. So I'd be a little bit careful to, to generalize on that. But there's more competition, there's more alternatives. In the meantime, we've also learned you know, which alternative lenders actually perform, or which just give you a term sheet and then do not perform. So there's a lot of experience that has developed over the years, and we're glad to share that experience with you. Maybe, maybe some of the actual providers have a view on that as well. I mean, cost or other sort of comparisons where your terms would differ terms traditional, let's say, on the lending side first. Uh, Tim, I'll just start with you, but I suppose like everyone will want to have a word. Sure, I think yes, there's definitely been uh, margin compression just because there's more there's more people in the market and it's no longer seen as a very niche exotic product, and so borrowers aren't willing to pay the prices they used to do. I think coming having worked for a large bank before here, I don't really view the two as competing. I view them as either providing the same borrower with financing for two different assets, so a large investment bank probably wouldn't finance a vessel that gets to 13, 14 years old, whereas alternative lenders might do. Um, in the same way that alternative lenders probably won't be very competitive on a new build. So it's possible to split your fleet in two based on its profile and then use both sources of funding, acknowledging that alternative lenders will be more expensive. Or alternatively, there are some borrowers who up to about two or three years ago could happily go to a relationship bank who also had markets business, cash management business, and essentially provided a subsidized loan to allow that borrower to receive a subsidized margin who has completely exited that relationship. And so by definition, you will have to pay an alternative lender a bit more because there isn't that relationship revenue to subsidize the loan that you've now received from them. Yeah, I'll, um, I agree with everything that you know, was said here. I'll just add one more point that you know, I feel that the, the reason that we've seen margin compression is not necessarily because um, because of the uh, you know the, the newcomers and um, um, but but mostly because of banks. I mean, I, I can share that in 2018, even 19, we were uh, taking out refinancing out many of the Greek banks on loans that um, you know that they wanted to get out of. Or and and then in the last uh, 18 months, they've been doing the exact opposite. They've been refinancing us. So I think what we uh, did, you know this this is a very large market and. We don't usually come across each other. I think in in, uh, in opportunities, uh, so I, I don't I don't think we feel to, you know a lot of competition that drives us to lower our pricing. But it's what, for what we see, the competition is coming from banks. 
Robert, did, did you want to I want to say that it's refreshing, actually. Uh, sorry, did I, oh, did I jump the, the queue? Sorry. Go ahead. Well, and... you know, I remember in 93, you know, I went to my first shipping conference, and everybody was asking how we're going to fund the gap in the market. There was a gap in the market, apparently, back then in shipping finance. And every time I go to conferences, you know, there is still this discussion about gap existing. And the reality is that the liquidity conditions change over time. And there have been, in those you know, 20, 30 years that I'm referring to, there have been a few uh, periods where you had an acute shortage of uh, funding. We've experienced one of these periods, you know, after, and it started after the financial crisis up until recently. Um, but now I feel that um, because of the presence of a number of different solutions here in this uh, panel, but also uh, elsewhere, uh, owners have a choice again. And I think that's very healthy. And it's like going to a supermarket and having many, you know, different products to choose from. I think it's healthy for the industry. And more products means that we cater for more different, for, for different needs of, of the ship owners. So that's it. It's very healthy. So if it's not, I mean, so we're hearing there's some difference in pricing. So for the different shippers, so what, what are the differences then maybe in Harris here on the lease side, but on the, on the lending side? I mean, is it, is it investment criteria? Is there more flexibility there? Different LTVs. What, what, how, how does it differentiate itself from a called a bank lending model? Robert, maybe I'll start with you. I take this one. Okay. Um, now I think I think the major difference is, of course, the the flexibility uh, we can uh, bring to the table. I think uh, I always call it a little bit the the glass half full and the half and the glass half empty. Uh, uh, in the good old days, when uh, uh, senior secured financing was very much dominated by the banks, you basically had a one-dimensional product. Uh, uh, whether you had a term sheet from one bank or another, in essence, there was no real difference. Now, I think if you look at, at, at the four or five initiatives here uh, behind the table, although we are all labeled alternative lenders, uh, we all have a different product, and, and that, I think, has value. Uh, coming back uh, to, uh, to the pricing element, I think every risk has a certain price. Um, if I look at direct ship finance uh, and, you and, and I compare ourselves uh, to, uh, to the traditional bank product, I think we bring flexibility to the table. That can be uh, because of a higher leverage. Uh, we are not so much focused on a, on a hard cap loan to value, we are looking at cash flow. And if that cash flow or that cash flow projection and where we feel comfortable, whether it's, it's our outlook on, on, on the spot market or whether it's, it's, it's backed by term employment, um, uh, that's what we look at. And if then at the end of the day, the loan to value at day one, which is basically a day rate, uh, bear in mind, it's a day rate. Uh, if that at that time is 52% or 57% or 62% or 67%, I do not really care. Um, our focus is on, on, is on cash flow. Elements that we can bring to the table in a poor market is, uh, uh, is discuss backloaded repayment schedules uh, to help an owner uh, uh, in a tight cash flow in, in, in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, we can talk about uh, pre-agreed skip options if an owner has uh, uh, a docking scheduled uh, somewhere down the road and he needs to uh, have, uh, have a ballast water treatment system uh, installed. We can talk about skipping that particular installment in that particular one or two quarters. And that, I think, is, is at the end of the day uh, what has value. Uh, and, and of course, pricing is always important. I mean, I've been in shipping for 30 years. I've been sitting on both sides of the table, on the owner's side 
and on, uh, and on the banking side, and when I was sitting on the owner's side, my first comment was always that it was too expensive. But uh, at, at the same time, if you have flexibility, if you have somebody to talk to who understands the business, if you can anticipate on, uh, on the things that are ahead of you, that has value. That has value. More than 25 base points, more or less. Switching gears a little bit, so I think um, you know one of the differences between on the traditional lending side and the and the alternative lending side of the non-bank is is the, sort of the capital, right? The banks are lending their own money. You all have investors and sources of capital that you have to go out and get those fundings in order to lend. Is is as the market grows, as maybe there is or isn't pricing competition, are those investors that you're reaching out to are they are they easier to bring in? Are they harder to bring in? And I guess is it sort of is it is it more governed by the demand for the lending side or is it the supply side of the capital that you find constrains you sometimes? So it's a really interesting question. We we do have a lot of prospective people reach out to us mainly because shipping is in the news a bit more now, and as a result, there's people interested in lending into the space. When we have those initial conversations, capital providers are pleasantly surprised by how shipping loans are structured. So you have a mortgage over a steel asset. Um, you can add credit enhancements such as a need for employment and there's a lot of historical data on rates and on prices that can help you make your investment decision. And I think that's also coupled at the moment at least with, uh, I think it was the FT that said at the end of the first quarter in, in private debt, so not just in shipping but in the entire industry, there's about $450 billion of dry powder that needs to be invested. And given we're in a high inflationary environment, that, that need is even more urgent. That's probably about four times higher than it normally is. And so what's happened is that in the non-shipping space, that's led to margin compression, lighter terms, um, and people potentially doing deals that they wouldn't want to do. And I strongly believe that a shipping deal that a, an investor hasn't considered yet because they've never looked at shipping as a viable investment area is probably structured better and pays better than some of these loans they're being forced to do to use up their dry powder at the moment. So we're having lots of really interesting conversations. I think to your point about challenges, there's two main ones. The first one is, as you can see, everyone on this table has a slightly different product. And so an investor coming to me may not like my investment strategy, but would have liked someone else's on the table. So the challenge isn't finding someone who wants to have the conversation, it's finding someone who wants to have the conversation about the strategy that you're seeking to employ. And the second side is that, this room excluded, shipping is still a fairly niche industry for investors. The private credit market alone is $1.5 trillion. The amount that's spent on private lending and shipping is an absolute drop in the ocean relative to that. Most investors only hear about shipping when something goes wrong in the supply chain, like the ever given. So in addition to finding the right investor, you then have to dedicate quite a lot of time and resources towards getting them comfortable if you're trying to bring a different type of investor into the space. Um, so there's definitely interest, but it is a, a, a slow burn process. Um, are you going to well, one, one small remark to add what Tim was just saying. It also depends very, very much where you talk. I mean, uh, uh, in, in continental Europe, I mean, you know, we did, we did our fundraising, which always has its challenges. But in continental Europe, you have a very different discussion than you have in New York. Uh, and, what it, and so what it means is that uh, you need to invest in, uh, in talking to as many people as possible. And like Tim was saying, then you have to find that particular investor who understands what you try to do. 
And then there's liqu liquidity available, uh, uh, lots of liquidity available. It's not an easy job fundraising, to be honest. Omar, I think you were going to say something. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've had shipping uh, I mean, and not shipping investors. Yeah, I would just say that you know when we started the fund, uh, we probably took more than uh, a thousand meetings before we had our first dollar coming to us. Uh, so it, it does take a lot of time, um, especially earlier on, to educate your um, you know your uh, investors, their consultants, the you know the, the board of trustees, and explain them what a ship is. You know they've never seen one; they will never see one. Um, and again, that took a lot of um, a lot of uh, a lot of hard work, and, and you know we're lucky and fortunate that um, our track record has helped now, and we we see more and more um, interest in um, in shipping. But look, ultimately, I think it's um, it's also a function of you know where rates will go. Uh, you know, just this week we've uh, we've touched ten-year uh, Treasury touched three percent, um, and of course this is a, you know this is a debt product. Uh, and it will be interesting to see how much, you know, whether if we're going to see rates continue to, to go up, whether this will still be interesting and at what, what rate. I just wanted to add a couple of things uh, as well from my side. Um, when we started uh, the effort last year, we had the same uh, dilemmas and questions in our minds about how investors would react. And the reality is that investors have, that have been involved in shipping or invested in shipping for the past decade. Uh, invariably, they didn't have a, an extremely, you know, exciting experience, and that's why sometimes you see reluctance. Um, the reality is that the shipping market is very volatile, and 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 what we did, and that's why we decided to also go with a leasing solution to fund uh, shipping, is that we wanted to take that volatility out of the shipping market, because in essence, uh, what we offer is an investment in a real asset, with uh, a ship in that in that case, but with stabilizers on top of it. Think of a cruise ship, for example, that is in, in the high seas. Sometimes it gets choppy and uh, the passengers feel um, very uh, you know, uneasy. Uh, but in our case, you know, we have stabilizers like the cruise ships do, and it creates some stability back into the investment uh, um, uh, horizon and, and world. And the reality is that because we're LIBOR-based, I suppose you, you all are, uh, it's, and it's a floating structure, uh, it also provides an inflation protection. So the, you're investing in a real asset, uh, which by itself is an inf inflation protection, and you also have a floating structure, which means as rates go up, your returns uh, go up at the same time. So I feel that, that those uh, two elements make the structure more robust and provide both the owners, our clients, a flexible structure to actually fund the business with and investors a more predictable and stable return coming from real assets. Harris, you had mentioned, and I don't think you can have a panel today that doesn't talk about sustainability and, and, and targets to net zero. I mean, the, the, the traditional finance world, if, if you will, um, you know, sort of has, has come to take some sort of a role of either encouraging that through some of the I guess the green bonds or the Poseidon principles. I mean, is this something that you find, you're saying, Harris, that you do take this into consideration, but is this something that goes into your investment decisions? Is it something that your investors are sort of pushing, or is it a different focus on this than maybe the more traditional lenders? Well, they didn't really have to push hard. I mean, in my, my whole career, I've, you know, um, 
try to be involved in technology, but also in uh, uh, initiatives related to, um, to uh, the environment. You know, I was one of the first 11 signatories of the Poseidon principles. A lot of my clients accuse me for that even uh, today. But, never, but nevertheless, uh, we did it, although it was not always an easy decision because you actually have to roll your sleeves and make, do a lot of work. And we also, I remember back in the, uh, uh, when I was uh, still living in uh, Rotterdam, we had a, an initiative uh, with the Green Award Foundation, uh, whereby we would actually subsidize or reduce the margin for owners that met certain environmental criteria on the basis of the Green Award. So it's not the first time, um, to give you a short answer. Um, one of the first things we, we did when we set up the company is we also established our ESG policy. Um, you know, which obviously looks at the environment, but it also looks at, uh, you know, governance and, and social responsibilities. Uh, in fact, I'm very proud to uh, again say to you all here that we became an associate member of ELMEPA maybe um, a month or two ago, because I believe from our uh, perspective as well, we need to, uh, to chip in for the benefit uh, of the environment and the industry with an organization that goes back, you know, 40 years. It's not a novice. Um, and we take an active stance, in just not a theoretical, because we also, as I mentioned earlier, are prepared to fund and help owners with a strategic thinking about uh, retrofits. So, you know, there's, there's many different ways that we, we're actually tackling this issue of uh, ESG. But it's definitely that, definite that the train has left the station or the ship has left the port. There's no way back. I mean, I know, that, I, I know it creates uncertainty and we all have to go through a transition period. But to me, there's just so much uh, funds going into new technologies today uh, that it is, um, a, I suppose, a predictable surprise that we will have new technologies going to ships in the next, you know, three, four, five years. Um, and that creates a challenge, but it's also the world's greatest challenges are the world's greatest opportunities. So I welcome everybody to live up to them. All right, go ahead. You had a point you wanted to make on that? Yeah, one small remark. I mean, obviously, ESG is important. That goes without saying. And, and I understand what Harris is saying, given the fact that he's focusing on uh, uh, more modern tonnage, uh, as I understood. But I think it's, it's, it's also fair to say that, that everybody plays his role. I mean, if you, if you look at different shipping companies, you have innovators, you have early adopters, you have early majority, and you have late majority. Uh, you know, I realize it's, 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 it's a simplification, uh, but I, I guess, I guess uh, the traditional banks focusing on maritime corporates may focus more on the innovators and the early adopters. Uh, traditional banks and alternative lenders meet each other probably in the early majority, and maybe we are focusing a little bit more on the late majority where, uh, let's say, the green shipping aspect is maybe a little less prominent than in, in some of the other uh, sub-segments in that respect. Having said that, uh, it plays a, a very uh, valid role because if, uh, uh, if innovators or early adopters cannot find a home for tonnages that is getting uh, slightly older and they need those funds to, to reinvest or invest in innovations uh, again, then, then everything comes to a halt as well. I mean, uh, new technology, innovation, all good, but at the end of the day, the economic life of a ship is still 20 to 25 years, and that, therefore it needs different uh, means of funds during that lifetime. And there, the banks play a role in, in the early stages, and, you know, talking about direct ship finance, 
there we play a role in, in early majority and late majority. Ted, if I can just chime in. Uh, I think, first of all, you need to separate between the E and the S and the G. Also. Um, I think as far as the, the latter, the S and the G, I think everyone, something that we're all, uh, speak for everyone, we're all very focused on and everyone should be very focused on it. Uh, when you're talking about the, the environmental aspect, I think this is a matter of uh, preference and taste. And this is mainly driven by, by, uh, by our investors. So I can tell you that our you know, European investors are very much focused on ESG or on the environmental side and are looking, for, you know, looking to put money to work in transition funds. Um, and they're also willing to trade pricing for it, meaning they're willing to earn a lower rate of return uh, in exchange for participating in those ventures. Whereas, um, and you know, for that reason, we've also uh, interested to launch uh, Purus Marine, which is a comp actually a company that was set up to own and lease uh, those type of assets. Now, on the, on the U.S. side, we see less of that. Um, and still, you know, if most of our investors would, you know, it's not something, let's just put it this way, that is in the top of their priority list. Um, so, just to your this panel is focused on the direct lending and on the leasing side. And I just wanted to touch on private equity, particularly after sort of the financial crisis, so much money flowed in. Now we're hearing more about sort of the exit, the exit of that private equity in the, in the current markets. But it is still there. And Omar, maybe I'll start with you. I mean, you, you do have some equity investments as well. Do you see, what do you see as the role for that today? Sure, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, as, as, as you pointed out, we do have um, roughly today half of our book on, in terms of an NEV is equity. And we have, uh, we hold, I think, more than 100 ships in around 18 joint venture investments, so it's something that we're very much active in. Uh, look, for us, the, you know, as I mentioned, we wanted to be a one-stop shop, and it was always uh, a counter-cyclical approach to, to investing, meaning that we knew that there'll be a time, as, as you pointed out, 2016, 2017, where you can achieve the best risk-adjusted return, risk-return profile, on the back of senior loans. Um, and you know, when the market is becoming a little bit more tight like today, uh, and we're seeing inflation picking up, maybe uh, we, we feel that there is some uh, merit in actually holding the assets and, uh, and, and, you know, and playing, the, um, uh, playing the shipping cycle, and which is why we have, um, you know, why we've uh, turned into uh, or increased our equity investments uh, um, uh, portfolio. If I may jump in here, I'm, I firmly believe that there might actually be even a, a basically a strong coming back from private equity into shipping. And I think that's the very simple reason for that is surprisingly the securities market, you know, of listed equity don't provide liquidity. I mean, theoretically, people go public in order to have a liquid asset that, that they offer the shares in the market. But if you look at even the larger pure shipping companies that are listed, and if you try to buy a significant amount of your shares, you move the share price immediately, and what you consider to be an attractive entry price might, you know, after just after a few trades, no longer be the case. Now, if you are nevertheless convinced you're facing a buying opportunity and you should go into that market, you will find out that buying, for example, a dry bulker is a very liquid thing to do. You can buy it, you can sell it the next day if you want to. So surprisingly for investors that have big wealth to manage, um, providing private equity to the shipping industry in terms of partnerships, in terms of asking people to manage the ships that they buy in various structures is something that I believe will see a strong recovery, especially now that people have experienced over the last 18 months that 
it only took a few months to take shipping back into a very attractive investment. And um, usually, you know, good returns attract people. I see the clock is, is winding down about four minutes, but maybe I'll just open this to everyone. Um, you know, where, where do you sort of see alternative financing going over the next two years in terms of market share, in terms of sort of the products? Do they become closer to what the traditional bank debt is? Are there certain characteristics that the people don't want? Where, where, would, where would you see, what would the changes that you would see, say, over the next two years if you had a crystal ball? Tim, I'll start with you. It's hard to think. Um, I, <laughs> I think um, I, I don't. I think with Poseidon and with changing capital requirements at banks, I think you'll continue to see a retrenching from quite a few lenders in the space. As there's quite a few banks that even this year have announced that they're leaving the industry, and you know. I do agree there are some banks that have left and now miraculously come back and are almost buying their old portfolio, but I think in reality there will be a restriction of capital. Um, whether that capital flows into alternative lending, I think then also then becomes what does alternative lending do to, to encourage, to attract those people? And it could be tough because if you are used to having relationship pricing from a bank, then even of all of the bells and whistles that we've talked about, you may still balk at the price. So you'll probably have to be something that alternative lenders have to do to resemble something a little bit more like bank financing in order to attract people over. Um, but I do think there'll be opportunities for alternative lenders to pick up loans and customers who have historically relied on banks. I personally believe we'll see a coexistence of the various forms of financing. And I, I wouldn't say, you know, one will have a stronger role than the other in the years to come. It will just depend. Shipping is volatile. There will be volatility. And there's different advantages of the various sources of, um, of capital in a very situation. I mean, if, if there's, uh, you know, distress, then private lending, you know, not being that much regulated can move much more flexibly than, than, than bank lending can. But I also must say there's still so much liquidity on the globe. Let's see whether central banks start, you know, trying to catch it now. But, but if they don't, there's a lot of liquidity and we see it in the banking space, we see it in alternative lending. So I think the good news for the time being is there is really, there's, there's alternatives. I don't see any financing gap. I don't see in the next one or two years. And, and so far, and beyond, I would say beyond two years in shipping, don't even look at it. It's yeah, seriously impossible. Um, I think, um, or at least I hope, that owners also here in the Greek market understand more and more the value of a diversified uh, funding uh, uh, strategy for, uh, for their business. I mean, uh, uh, I think, and I know that, I know that uh, when I was sitting on the owner side, it can be very, very hard to be uh, uh, to, to rely on only one or two banks uh, going forward, because sometimes banks uh, change the strategy, and if you're then with the wrong bank, then you have an issue. So I would, I would advise everybody to look for opportunities, and those opportunities are there today. Eh? The glass is half full, as far as I'm concerned. Look for those opportunities. That, that are well tailored to the specific requirements that you have. And I think your approach as an owner for younger tonnage should be different than for older tonnage. Uh, and that, at the end, of the end of the day, pays off, I think. And the opportunities are now there.
approach you all. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, look, I think you know, shipping, as we all like to say, is a very traditional industry, and the, the funding for shipping has also been traditionally in, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the sense that uh, you know, we always had senior secure loans. They were very much monoline uh, type of business. The banks were very, um, very similar to each other and just competing on pricing. Uh, so I, I think, as Harris mentioned earlier, the, the, what, what we've done, we've kind of expanded the menu of options that uh, ship owners have. And still, you know, if you compare it to other industries, shipping is still way behind. You know, unlike the aviation um, uh, industry, which is smaller than, than the shipping industry. I mean, there are no double ATCs, there are no structured product, there are no CLOs. So actually, I actually personally feel there is more room to grow from here. Uh, and I hope that, you know, we'll continue to develop and, and offer, you know, a wider menu of options to ship owners. Harris, the last word. Thank you. Um, it's, um, look, I firmly believe that in the next few years, at least speaking on, you know, from a leasing perspective and with a leasing hat on, uh, uh, that industry is going to uh, become bigger, it's going to take a material space in the provision of uh, finance to the shipping industry, like it has in the, in the financing of the aircraft uh, business in the 70s. The aircraft fleet was financed through leases to the tune of 1%. Now it's probably 53, 54% of the, of the fleet. And, and you can imagine how much bigger the aircraft fleet is today compared to what it was in the 70s. So I, I see a similar trajectory for the ship leasing business. And it's going to be because you know, of the elements that I mentioned earlier, but also because of its symbiotic relationship with the owners. Uh, with other capital providers and also with uh, the banks that are still involved in shipping because I think it's the symbiotic relationship that allows us to provide higher leverage, uh, more flexibility and, of course, uh, more uh, attractive terms overall. All right. Well, we will stop there. I thank all of you very much.